them, or he says to the Father, I have manifested or I have revealed your name to the people you, you gifted to me, you gave me. Jesus isn't just saying that he revealed that the name that they should call God as Father, though he was doing that, and much less is Jesus saying he revealed to them just mere principles for how to live a better life. But what he's revealing to them is the person, the heart of God as Father. When we talk about, in the Bible, what's in a name, talk about praying in Jesus' name, uh, Jesus saying, I've revealed your name, he's revealing the character and the heart and the priorities and the works uh, and what the Father values. He's, he, in other words, the name is all that he stands for, all that he is about. And so Jesus is saying, I, I revealed your values, your priorities, your work through me. Because he says, I, I've um, manifested the name to, to the people you've given me. And he says, um, and they have kept your word. Now again, the disciples had limited understanding of what Jesus revealed to them about the Father and the plan for the Son to be the Redeemer. They sort of got it, but there's a lot they did not get, just like us. And that's an encouragement to us to do the same. Because he says, you kept them, and they kept your word. And so even though they didn't get much of it, they didn't get much of what Jesus was really about to do, they didn't understand what it meant for him to leave and they heard him talk about dying. They heard him talk about rising again, but they didn't understand it. They really didn't get how this is all part of the Father's plan. Um, yet, what they did get, they kept. And so, you say, there's so much of the Bible I just don't get. And I would say, there's lots of the Bible I don't get. So, we don't get much of the Bible. But what we get, keep. So, if, if nothing else, if you got this much, Jesus loves me, this I know. How's the rest of it go? Come on. If you got that, hold on to Jesus, and he's got more for you. But that's a key thing to not miss. So keep seeking Jesus in his word because of what he says in in the next couple of verses. Uh, Jesus says, Now they know, in verse 7, that everything you have given me is from you. So what the disciples did get is that everything Jesus revealed to them, all he taught them, every miraculous sign he did was from the Father. Jesus, not one word that he taught or work he did came from his own origination, his own initiative. It was all from Jesus. It was all from the Father, sorry. So close were the Father and the Son, Jesus, that therefore so fully did Jesus reveal the Father that everything he said and did was from the Father. And then moving on to verse 8, Jesus says, I've given them the words that you gave me. So Jesus continues to speak of how completely he depended upon the Father and how precisely he revealed the Father's words, his word and his words. Words, his word, the big picture, his words, every, down to the very words that he spoke, he gave them from the Father. Jesus was 100% faithful in revealing the words of the Father, the Father's will, down to every word he spoke. He did not presume to put his own creative spin on the word of God. He took the words of the Father and communicated them to Jesus' disciples. Because Jesus had lived in perfect face-to-face communion with the Father before he took on his human nature. He had perfect communication with the Father. And so he didn't lose that when he came as the human son and the son of God. He kept on with that direct, close communion. And he says, he uses three terms to describe the way that the disciples received the words that he spoke to them. He says, first of all, they received the words that Jesus gave them. 
In other words, they didn't reject the words. They received them. They didn't understand it all, but they received. Secondly, that they came to know that Jesus truly came from the God, the Father. And thirdly, they believed that the Father sent him. So what Jesus prayed back in John 17, 3, in John 17, 3, uh, where Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. At the heart of knowing God is exactly what he says here in verse 8. Receiving his words is revealed and fulfilled in the Son, Jesus, knowing he came from God and believing that God sent him. So believing in Jesus as he is revealed in the Scripture is the way to know God, which is to have eternal life. So these are the words of eternal life. The words that Jesus spoke and inspired the apostles to write, and as he fulfilled the Old Testament as well, all of it, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God and his plan of salvation are not something like spiritual raw material that we kind of mold and shape any old way we want. Um, they're, They're not according to our preferences and our pleasures. God reveals himself. God knows who he is. He knows exactly who he is, and he knows how to reveal it in what we need to grasp of the Father. So Jesus says, I, I stuck with the text, Father. I revealed your words exactly as you wanted. And that is what we are to believe today in the way uh, to receive eternal life. And so if Jesus was radically committed to giving us his precise words, so must we be radically committed to knowing him and his works through his word. That is what saving faith does. Saving faith says, I'm a receiver. I take in the revelation of Jesus Christ and I believe it and I trust in it. And Jesus goes on and prays in verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is saying he's not praying for the world. In this situation, uh, he, in this context, the term world refers to people who don't know God, uh, who are outside of a saving relationship with God, uh, they are in rebellion against the true God by either inventing their own conceptions of him or by outright rejecting him or being indifferent to him. So that is what Jesus means when he talks about the world. And Jesus says he's only praying for those whom the Father has given him. That is, those who are the Father's. Only those the Father gives him and receive, gives him are those who receive and believe. The Jesus-rejecting world needs to quit being the Jesus-rejecting world if they are to be saved. So in verse 21, we'll see that next week, where Jesus says uh, he prays that the world may believe that God sent him. So he wants the world to quit being the world and to become his people. But right now he's praying specifically for those who are his people and who will be his people. So verse 10, I told you we're going to move along here. We'll pause longer at some verses, but we will just buzz through some of them. In verse 10, Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Jesus could not be more clear. He prays for his disciples. Immediately, the eleven, one was a traitor. He'll talk about him in just a second. And he also looks out in verse 20. We see he's talking about all who would believe through them. That comes up to the present day. So he's praying for them specifically, but also for all the disciples that would ever believe through their testimony. And he says, just as you know exactly, Father, who are yours, yours are mine, and I'm praying for them. Just as you know exactly who your family members are, most of us do, at least our immediate family. We may not know our second and third and 15th cousins, 
but we know our immediate families. In that same way, and more so, the Father and the Son knows who are theirs. And Jesus is glorified in them because they have trusted and put their faith in the revelation of God the Father and that Jesus is sent by the Father to be the Savior. So that is how we glorify God. One way we glorify God is by saying, yep, I believe that Jesus is the sent one, the Son, who the Father sent into the world to be the Savior. We don't glorify God by saying, well, that's a nice option. Jesus might have been a good teacher, but I kind of like keeping my options open. You know, we zero in on Jesus, the Son of God, as the way that God has provided eternal life. Now moving on to verse 11. Jesus... Uh, is praying for his disciples because he says, I'm no longer in the world. He's finishing his mission in the world and returning to the Father while his disciples are going to remain on and carry out phase two of the mission. Phase one is Jesus coming and raising up disciples and then climaxing what he'll do in just a few hours is his death on the cross and his resurrection. Phase two of the mission is spreading the gospel through his disciples, the gospel, the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ for eternal life to the ends of the earth. So Jesus begins asking things for the disciples. That's the second part of verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. There's that term, name again. Name, keep them in your word that you've revealed about yourself and your plan to save people through me. You staked your reputation on me as your son and your work and your word. That is the revelation of your name. It's who he was, is, what the Father did through Jesus is his name. So he says, Father, I have kept the disciples in your word, which is the revelation of your name. And so he asked the Father that he would keep them in his name that he gave him, that they may be one as the Father and son are one. So if we're linked to, to Jesus through faith, we're linked to the Father and Son, we're united to them by faith, the Father and Son are in unity, right? There's no, there's no break between the Father and Son. So if we're connected to them by faith, then we have a unity that is hardwired into who we are as believers. Now, we may not live that out very well, faithfully, consistently, but that is who we are. And Jesus is saying that I'm praying that you keep them one in your name because for them to carry out this mission that I have for them to carry on my work, they need to be united. They need to be one. And there's hazards at being a disciple of Jesus. He begins praying that way. Verse 12. Are you with me? Verse 12. So, got it on the screen, but if you're looking at your Bible, we're in verse 12. Jesus, while he was with them on earth, kept them in constant connection to the revelation of Father through himself. He guarded them from being lost, that is, from spiritual destruction. And he says, and none were lost but the son of destruction. And he said the reason for that is the scriptures forecast that there would be one who would betray the Messiah. So John earlier recorded that Jesus knew who would betray him. So in John chapter 6, for example, Jesus said, there are some of you who do not believe to the disciples And John comments, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who would betray him. In fact, Jesus a little bit later said, Did I not choose you the twelve and one of you is a devil? Could you imagine that being twelve disciples? You're with Jesus all the time. You all look like you're doing the same work. And he's saying, I know that one of you is a devil. I would think that would cause you to be a little bit nervous, maybe to even repent, but 
didn't happen with Judas. Of course, that's who Jesus is talking about. I kept them all in your name, except I already know that one is lost. And that was the scripture already said that, and I already knew that one would be lost. And Jesus moves on in verse 13. We see him saying to the Father, Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now that I'm coming to you, Father, what I have taught... And what I am now praying is that my disciples may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is a handy thing for them to hear and to know now because it could be pretty joyless for them to conceive of their master, their teacher, their their savior leaving their presence. They hear him talk of dying and then talk about one of them betraying him. That isn't very joyful for them. And so Jesus right now says, I'm praying, Father, that they will have my joy fulfilled in them. Now that I'm not here to protect and encourage them in joy, I pray that what I have taught them will fulfill my joy in them. Having the joy of Jesus in us is a privilege that we have as disciples. Jesus had already said this a couple times at least in his teaching leading up to this point. So he's big on them having joy. It's not something we have to extract from God or he's... He's uh, like a joy miser. God freely gives us joy, even and especially in the face of the hardships there are of being a disciple of Jesus, whether we're battling our own sin or the resistance of the world that Jesus is going to talk about. So this is a joy that the disciples can have in spite of rejection they'll face. And Jesus' prayer will be answered. It's pretty safe to, to assume that Jesus gets his prayers answered, right? I mean, he's right in there with the Father, and he will get his prayer answered. So we know that there are challenges in us receiving that, but it's a promise that Jesus' disciples have. He continues praying for us. He prays for Roy, that Roy will have joy. Anybody want Roy to have joy? Or Jan, that she'll have joy. Or Nancy. Or Alex. Or Jim. You have Jesus praying for you that you will have joy in spite of everything you're facing, everything you're battling, everything you're struggling with. And we just have to receive that gift and and hang on to Jesus by faith to have that joy that he promised. Moving on to verse 14. Jesus says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. All right, this is the reason you need joy because... This message is not one favor, will not win favor and influence people with the world. It will influence people, but it won't win favor if you remain in the world. Again, the world being a system aligned against the true God hates Jesus-centered truth. Those who receive and believe God's word about Jesus no longer are what Jesus calls of this world. If you have received Jesus, he says you are no longer of this world. Now, we're here... So he's not talking physically not being in the world itself as a physical realm, but he's saying your spiritual identity, your loyalty, your spiritual alignment, your cues are all now powered by Jesus, and they, you as disciples are his, and you are not, you don't get your chief identity from the world. You don't get your spiritual life from this world. So if the world understands how desperately they need Jesus and love the glory of his grace, and truth, they would love Jesus' disciples. But until they get that, they're radically opposed to Christ. You know, it's safe to talk. You can talk about God. That's a fairly safe topic. You can talk about religion, spirituality, and people might at least be patient with you or maybe even respect you a little bit. 
They might tolerate you some, but you don't talk about Jesus unless you're swearing or exclaiming something. Or else that doesn't go over very well. Jesus said it, and he wasn't exaggerating. If you receive his word, the world will cry, foul, traitor, you're bucking the system. Narrow-minded, arrogant. So unless we, they won't do that if we sanitize our lives or our teaching to make Jesus sound just like one of the world's gods or religious symbol. If we make Jesus sort of like a religious mascot, well, they can handle that, just kind of a good teacher. But if we say he is Savior and Lord, and all who receive eternal life must receive through him, that is, um, they choke on that. And so Jesus promised, said that uh, you expect the world will reject you. One person says, so many bad ideas and bad theology come into the church because Christians can't accept that the word of God about Jesus will be rejected by many. We, we like people to like us. And we want people to love the message too. But it doesn't come to us naturally. We need the grace of God. The only reason any of us believe is purely by God's grace this morning. The reason that we're not hostile, uh, totally. We still break out against the gospel because we're, we still have remnant of sin. But we at least know where life comes from. Eternal life. And that's through Jesus. Verse 15. Father doesn't take disciples out of the world. We think, man, I just want out of this world. And Jesus says, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Now, as opposed as the world is to Jesus' disciples, Jesus wants them in the world. He asks the Father not to remove, but to protect them from the devil's efforts to destroy them. The disciples have a mission to carry out to make Jesus known, to call people to believe in him and display his grace and glory in gospel communities called churches. So do you think the Father is answering Jesus' prayer? That's just to make sure you're awake because every time I say that, just nod your head and say yes because Jesus always gets his prayers answered. No doubt. But even as we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the forces of darkness, they can at the worst harass us and test us but they cannot destroy us. If you've never read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you should read that. In Pilgrim's Progress, the, the main character called Christian, of all things, uh, battles a guy named Apollyon. He's a bad guy. He's a big demonic guy with huge, big wings and all that. And Apollyon was able to rough up Christian and and, uh, draw some blood, but in the end, Christian defeats him by the sword of the word. And so that is the battle that we face. Spiritually, yep, the demonic realm can get at us, but they cannot destroy us. And that's because Jesus prayed. I'm not saying remove all of that from them now. I'm saying keep them from being overtaken. Do not let their faith be destroyed by the evil one. And he goes on and says in verse 16, Just as I'm not of the world, they are not of the world. Just as Jesus was not of the world, so his disciples are not to be conformed to the world. That means our core identity, our desires, our priorities, what we love, what we hate, what our motivations are, Basically, our entire lives are to be rooted in God as revealed in his word through Jesus Christ. Our lives are to reflect and represent Jesus in the world. So, to that end, Jesus prays that that would happen. That's why he prays what he does in verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus asks, Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify, meaning make them holy in the truth. 
Set them apart in the truth. As you are set apart for his mission, live lives that reflect his holiness according to the truth of God's word. What does it look like to be holy in the truth? Jesus says, you will love what he loves. You will hate what he hates. God's priorities will be your priorities. And we get that from the word of God. We, as Jesus' disciples, represent him in conduct, in speech, in habits, in parenting, in all of our relationships, in recreation, in our use of social media, our use of social media, our use of social media, our work, school. We're always on for God. We don't get time off from representing God. And you say, wow, that is rough. So where do I get that instruction? From the word of God, Jesus said, your word is truth. He didn't just say, your word is true. That would be true to say that. He said, your word is truth. Everything that is contradicts this is false. Do you believe that? Do you nod your head because you were in church and you got to agree? But when the chips are down, do you take God's word as, as being the final arbiter? That means the final judge, the final determiner of what you consider to be truth. Yes. Okay. Give that guy a kiss. She didn't really do it. I can't believe it. Okay. So Jesus has given us everything that we need to know and live for him and to glorify God, the Father, and the Son and Spirit in this world. But you say it is hopeless to be holy in God's word in 2013. Do you know what you're saying? I mean, it might have worked then. Okay, maybe if I withdraw from the world and join a monastery, I could be holy. Wrong. Jesus knew you were going to say that. That's why he says what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. No, he knew we were going to think, well, if I just get out of the world, I can be holy. Because that's the problem. The world says dance and I dance. The world says jump and I say how high. And Jesus says, no, I'm sending you into the world. And uh, I'm sending you as a people. God sends into the world as the Father sent Jesus into the world. Just as God sent Jesus to faithfully carry out his mission and to teach his word and to live it out, so he sends us. And so as Jesus' disciples, we are saved. We like that part. Sanctified, not sure about that. Sent, we say, no, I don't like that at all. How in the world can I live in the world and be sanctified and set apart for God's purposes? That brings us up to verse 19. We're actually at the very last verse, so it's time to listen in if you haven't been yet because we're almost done. He says, and for their sake I consecrate myself. Actually, that's the same word, sanctify. Sanctify myself. I set myself apart. I devote myself to God's holy purposes that they may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus knew his disciples then and now wouldn't and couldn't be holy in the truth as God's sent people on their own. That's why he says, for their sake, for my disciples' sake, for Gary Smith's sake, for Bob Heverling's sake, for Joe Levesque's sake, for everybody who names the name of Christ's sake, I lay down my life. Thankfully, yes, that we would be saved from sin and judgment and given everlasting life, that for sure. But not only that, I set, I set myself apart To your holy will, Father, Jesus prayed, that I lay down my life, that I may be raised again and return to you, that I may save them and provide for their sanctification and power for witness to the world. So we've got all that we need 
to do what Jesus has called us to do as sent people, sanctified, set apart. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension provide forgiveness for all his disciples' failures at being sanctified in the truth as a sent people. So just in case, like one or two of you might have failed this week at being a holy people sent into the world, here's the good news. Jesus already provided your covered. doesn't mean he wants you to stay there. He wants you to learn and grow, but he completely, he's not, he doesn't have you on probation. He completely, freely forgives you always, all the time of your failures in this realm. That's what he's saying. I sanctify myself because I'm the only one perfect, and I can say it to you, Father, because you know it's true. I'm the only one who has the power, who has the, the light, the only person who's both your son and the son of man, the son of God, who can be the substitute for sin and provide what my people need to carry out my mission. And Jesus continues to work in us through God's word and spirit to conform and transform our hearts to love what he loves, hate what he hates, that his priorities become our priorities. How in the world can you be sanctified? Keep looking to Jesus. Cling closely to him. Keep returning to him again and again. If you struggle, you sin, you just keep coming back to Jesus again and again and again. And if you get any victory at all, you give the credit and praise to Jesus. He's the only reason we're ever successful at all in carrying out his will. We look to him like a child to a parent. And keep your identity in Christ up to date. So one way to do it is to read this very prayer, pray through it, meditate on it, read it every day this week, and let it sink and soak into your heart. This is who I am, not who the world says I am, not who anybody else says I am. This is who I am because this is who Jesus is for me. This is who Jesus is in me. This is how he prayed for me. I'm expecting his prayers to be answered. And that gives us confidence and hope and faith.